Hey guys, I'm Chilena. And I'm Maggie. And this is Mysteries at the Coffee Shop. Today's episode, we are going to go over the OG, the very notorious... Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. Maggie's going to start off. So, Maggie, you want to go ahead? Of course. So, Jack the Ripper is one of my... I don't want to say favorite cases because I feel like that's fucked up. But it is so intriguing. And there's so much more to it than I originally thought until... So, Jack the Ripper was an unidentified serial killer. He was active around the Whitechapel District of London in 1888. He had many different names, such as the Whitechapel Murderer and Leather Apron, which I don't know where that one came from. I actually do know where that one came oh, from. So, take Leather it from here. Apron. Yeah, Leather Apron was actually, it referred to, he was either a local butcher or a local shoemaker. I can't quite remember. More than likely a local butcher that everyone referred to as Leather Apron. And that's just because he, it wasn't proven that he killed anybody, but he did like to threaten prostitutes with knives. And they, yeah, they called him Leather Apron. And he was actually arrested for the Jack the Ripper murders. However, he had an alibi, so it was proven that he was, in fact, not Jack the Ripper. He was just an asshole. Oh, love that. Yeah. Well, that's... That's great. Jack the Ripper, of course, was notorious for going after sex workers in the slums of London. He's presumed to have some surgical knowledge because he removed a lot of people's organs very meticulously. Like, it was... In, like, one failed swoop is what they described it as, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Like, yeah, like, it was so accurate and so... I don't want to say well done, because... But, like, he knew where they were at. Like, he just went in and was like, yep, that's the liver, and then pulled it out. Like, Yeah, he had like a he lot of anatomical okay. knowledge. He removed the organs from at least three of his victims, which is disgusting. Pretty disgusting, yeah. Do you know how Jack the Ripper got his name? No. It actually came from a letter that is known as the Dear Boss Letter. I'll read it to you. Okay. Dear boss, I keep on hearing that the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I've laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. The joke about Leather Apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores, and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the ladies' ears off and send them to the police officers. Just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work and give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get the chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. He took their time to, like, write ha ha. I don't know. I feel, why do I feel like that's weird? He said, lol lol haha and then my favorite part is like you thought you thought i was fucking leather apron you thought i was that loser (laughs) no no pretty weird he wanted to use blood as ink but i guess it clotted yeah yeah that i mean sucks for him right very weird very weird the credibility of himself yes he did name himself um if this was truly him, the credibility of this is iffy. It could have been journalists using this as a way to increase interest in the story, which I don't know why you'd want to increase interest into murder. Can I just say something? So, um, slight theory that I have, right, is that... So, I think at the time, reading, being able to read... Right? That was increasing in popularity. And the more people who bought papers, the more the media got money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
So I feel like this is where like the whole media thing comes through. Like it could be that. Yeah. Yeah. I see that happening. I mean, gotta love when the media fakes stuff. Yeah. So we don't even know if that was that letter was actually like from Jack the Ripper himself. No. So if it was Jack the Ripper, then yeah, he named himself. It was if it was some journalist, I guess he was like, oh, this sounds real cool. Jack? That's so lame. Plot twist. That was his actual name. <laughs> his name was like Jack De, Le- De Ripper or something. <laughs> yeah. why, why did they look that up in the books? They're like Jack the Ripper. They never looked up any of the Jacks, but of course they're like, what idiot would be stupid enough to like call himself by his name? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like the spirit of Jack the Ripper is going to come stab me now. All right, so let's go over his victims, right? So there are two cases that could be his victims in Whitechapel. There were a lot, actually. He's only got five canonical victims, but there were 11 separate murders spanning from April 3rd, 1888 to February 13th, 1891, and all of them are debated to be linked, but they don't know for sure. The first two cases in the Whitechapel murder files are those of Alima. Alima? Emma Elizabeth Smith and Martha Tabram. So Smith was robbed and sexually assaulted on April 3rd, 1888. She was bludgeoned about her face and cut near her ear. Um, She had a blunt trigger warning, massive trigger warning. This is about to get nuts. Trigger warnings all over this episode. Yeah. Like it's, there's a lot. She had a blunt object forced into her vagina ripping her peritoneum. She had survived the initial attack, but died the next day of peritonitis. Before her death, she had stated that she was attacked by a group of two to three men, one of whom she assumed was a teenager. Her murder was linked to the rest by the press at the time, but most authors believe that this was an act of gang violence and unrelated to the Ripper case. That's sad. It is sad. I don't think it's related to the Ripper case because she did say it was a group of people, but it still really sucks. It does still really suck. And also, I'm pretty sure, I don't, well, would they have known? I feel like out of the Canonical Five, he wasn't known to sexually assault his victims. Right? I don't know. I, like, read over the case files and I didn't see any... Like, they never said that there was any evidence of sexual assault on those victims. Of course, they were, like... They were sex workers, so it's... Yeah. And it's harder to, I guess... I don't know. They were... Well... It was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, also, like, like, they were mutilated so badly. Like, what left was there to really look at? Yeah, I mean, you can't... And forensics at the time weren't that great either. Yeah. Yeah, so... Does this... Does Emma Smith, does her case sound like a Ripper case? Not not quite. But what about Martha Tabram? Hers is a little weird. Um, She was murdered on the staircase landing in George Yard on August 7th, 1888. She was stabbed 39 times. Wounds were located on her throat... Lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach, abdomen, breasts, and vagina. She was not raped. It was kind of linked to the Ripper case, as it was a brutal attack with no clear, obvious motive. But it doesn't entirely fit his signature. She had no slash wounds, which she was typically known for. But it... I mean, it, it's brutal. I don't know. I feel like... This sounds really mean, but I feel like in the slums of London, like, people get stabbed a lot. Like, yeah. I think in London, actually, now, like, in the UK in general, as well, like, people get stabbed, like, knife crimes are, like, through the fucking roof. Yeah. In modern day, like, people just get fucking stabbed. And they were really close together. Probably why they're called the Whitechapel murders, because they're all in the Whitechapel district. Um, well, like, what if people in Whitechapel just get, I don't know, they just get stabbed? It's like going to Detroit and be like, yeah, people get shot here a lot. 
I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I feel, it was so sad. It, Both it of these women sad. didn't deserve what happened to them. No. Regardless of who the culprit was. You know what's crazy to think about is that all of these women were being murdered and dying. And, like, you as a woman in that time having to survive and put food on the table, you still had to get up and go to work that day. It was just like, well, this one died. Very sad. Anyways, time to go work because I need food. Continue. I mean, to be fair, that's kind of what we still do. It's true. But I think if there is serial murder on murderer on the loose, they would inform us to like, hey, you should probably stay in your house and whatnot. What the Well Anyways, let's get on to the Canaconical Five. Victim number one of the Canaconical Five is gonna be Mary Ann Nichols. She was murdered August thirty first, eighteen eighty eight. She was known as Polly to her friends, and she had a really tough life living in London. So she survived by working brutal workhouses and selling her body. So on August 30th, she went to the frying pan pub, had some drinks, and she spent all her money on alcohol. Sounds so, like my stepdad. Ouch. So because she spent all her money on alcohol, she was kicked out of her lodgings that night. And in the early morning, she was spotted stumbling around drunk. At 3.30 a.m. on August 31st, 1888, Charles Allen Cross left his home and set off to walk to his place of work, where he was employed as a carman and a delivery driver. Right? Nothing too weird. Um, as sounds he's like walking, a typical job. Yes, sounds like a typical job. So as he's walking, he noticed a dark bundle laying on the ground, and he doesn't really know what it is, but he's like, all right, let's go investigate it, because it's just hanging out on the sidewalk and he yeah I wasn't quite sure what it was um and the London streets they didn't have street lights okay it's still really dark so he's looking over there like prodding and then he realizes that it is a woman oh and he's like oh shit so another man another carter is walking by his name is Robert Paul and Charles Allen Cross says to him Come and look over here. There's a woman laying on the pavement. So she was laying on her back. Her legs were straight out. Her skirts were raised almost over her waist. They inspected the body, felt for a pulse. They're like, oh, she's fucking dead. And, you know, fucking sucks. Um, Unfortunately for them, they were late for work. And they're like, oh, shit, there's nothing we can do. So they pulled the skirts back over her legs, right? And they're like... We'll just tell the first policeman we see, and then they went to work. See, I kind of understand pulling her skirts back down to, like, save her dignity a little bit. But also, like, rule number one of finding a crime scene is don't mess with it. Also, also you know how they said that they would find the police? They didn't do that. <laughs> I guess they never ran into a police officer that day. <laughs> oh, I have to go to work. Dead. Very sad. Anyways. Like, the fuck? For real, like... Who does I would that? be calling my boss. I'd be like, hey. Did I have phones back then? I would be sending a pigeon to my boss. Can't come in. Dead body. <laughs> oh my god. Anyways. So those two leave for work. Not long after they leave, police constable John Neal turned on to Buck's Row and he saw the body. Right? And he says this and I'll read like I'll quote this from him he says there is not a soul about I had been round there half an hour previously and saw no one then I was on the right side when I noticed a figure lying in the street it was dark at the time I examined the body by the aid of my lamp and noticed blood oozing from the wound in the throat she was lying on her back with her clothes disarranged I felt her arm which was quite warm for the joints upwards her eyes were wide open her bonnet was off and lying at her side So he's like, oh shit, we have a dead body. Then he notices another police officer, John Thane, passing at the end of the street. He gets his attention like, hey, you need to go get a fucking doctor. What's a doctor doctor gonna do? I don't fix it. I don't fucking know. You can't reverse death. I don't know if they knew she was dead. I mean, actually, I lied. She was definitely dead. 
but I don't know how they work. I don't know if they have to have a doctor, like, announce that she's dead. Oh, you're right. Maybe that is the case. Dr. Llewellyn arrived at around 4 a.m., and he carried out the examination on the body. He said the deceased's body and legs were still warm, although her hands and wrists were quite cold. She could not have been dead for more than half an hour. He also noted that her throat was slashed so violently that her head was almost severed from her body. Her abdomen was mutilated so badly her insides were spilling out. And it was believed that a 6-8 to eight inch knife was used, maybe a shoemaker's knife. I don't know. I feel like that's oddly specific, but they're like, that was probably like a pretty common tool. And they're like, yeah, that that would do it. Well, to be fair, if it's a man being like, yeah, that's six to eight inches. <laughs> Anyways. That could be three. It. Damn. Anyways, they noted that there was anatomical skill in the cuts and he must have been working on the body for about five minutes. Dang. It was a slash and run, homie. I feel that's a terrible way to go. I mean, all of these women have, like, they suffered. You would hope that when they got their next cut that they would die within a few seconds, and then they weren't awake or conscious or uh, even alive when he started mutilating their bodies. I just, like, I have this fear that people can still feel what happens to their bodies after they die. Like, it's a weird thing. Right. Like, there's no scientific proof that that's the case. No. But what if your soul feels what you have to go through? I guess we'll never know, but... We'll we'll find out eventually. Oh, shit. Don't remind me. But Marianne Nichols, like, that was his first victim, supposedly. Again, Canaconical 5, right? But this was... One of his definite signatures was the throat cut from ear to ear throat slash you know and then the mutilation of her body victim number two is annie chapman she was murdered september 8th 1888 and annie chapman was 47 years old at the time of her death she was a known alcoholic um, a problem that she has always had but it was fueled really further by the death of her daughter and after her daughter died She had to place her disabled son in care, and then her husband split from her and took the last child. That really sucks. Yeah, so she was by herself. He died of alcoholism, and she kind of went downhill after that. She had tuberculosis, so she honestly wasn't doing too well to begin with. I mean, she lost her family. Yeah. takes a toll on somebody mentally, and then alcoholism on top of that. And the average right. lifespan at the time was around 40s to 50s. So her heart, her life was really hard. I mean, like she had to do odd jobs to put food on the table and obviously also had to resort, resort, also had to resort to sex work to put food on the table. That's got to be hard when you have tuberculosis and you're like basically at the end age of your life at that time. But you know, she may do, and she and she had been living in lodgings. It's called Crossingham Lodgings is where she lived, and she had a really good relationship with all the tenants there. People described her as an inoffensive soul whose main weakness was the fondness of drink. And she was just an innocent woman trying to make a living, trying to live her life after all this tragedy. But unfortunately for her, she was last seen September 7th by her friend Amelia, who stated she looked weak and more frail than usual. So, at 5.15 a.m. on September the 8th, a man heard a woman scream. And he didn't think anything of it. Of course. He just walked away. Yeah. People still do that. It's absolutely ridiculous. There was a case sort of nearby where it happened in an apartment and people heard the victim scream, but they didn't say anything. They didn't call the police. They just sat there. They were like, yeah, that's none of my business. I mean, if you hear a suspicious scream, get help. Yeah, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to call the police. Of course, at that time, like, they didn't have phones. Yeah, but, but still, you could, like, could have, like, knock on somebody's doors, like, hey, I heard some screaming. You might want to check it out. Yeah, let's go check it out over there and make sure this lady's okay. Worst thing is that she's totally fine and nothing bad is happening. 
I feel like the worst thing is you go check on her and she gets stabbed and the killer turns and looks at you and you're like, oh shit, and then you get stabbed. No, I mean like the worst like outcome if you're wrong. True. The worst outcome is exactly what you stated. True. How likely is the worst outcome though? Your worst outcome? Yeah. I don't know. Depends. Depends on the situation and depends on the killer. 50-50. Homie was like, that's none of my fucking business and walked away. He said, I ain't no snitch. Yeah, yeah. He was like, fuck that shit. I'm out. I don't want to get stabbed on my way to work. See, I wouldn't want to get stabbed there'd either. There'd be no food but... on the table. But I'd be like, hey, there's something wrong over here. That's true. Anyways... At around 6 a.m. close by where the scream was heard, Annie's body was found. And just like Mary, she was not dead for long. So, Jack moves so, fast. Jack does move fast. The doctor stated that it seemed to be the same instrument as the one used on Mary Ann Nichols. Annie had similar injuries to Mary. However, they noted that her reproductive organs were pulled out in one motion noting that this killer had some sort of anatomical knowledge. That's so messed up. He just, like, ripped out her uterus. Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. And, like, a very complicated thing to remove. Yeah. He did that. Gross. Man was kind of a psychopath. Yeah. Anyway. No, you don't say. Um, anyways, victim number three was Elizabeth Stride. So she was murdered on September 30th, 1888. And this is the day of the double murder. So September 30th is when he murdered victim number three and victim number four. On September 29th, Louis Dimeschutz, you know, he spends his day selling jewelry, right? And at the end of the day, he took his horse back to Dudfield Yard and as he was approaching, he did not know that the Ripper was actively mutilating Elizabeth. So, homie just... In was the like, same area? In the same area. He was actually walking towards them. Like, he went... He was like, okay, yeah, my day is done. I'm gonna go put my horse back in the field. Horse is clopping down the street, right? Clopping down the street closer and closer to where Jack is mutilating Elizabeth. And it's noted that, like... Jack must have heard the horse coming and ran. Did he see the guy? He did not. And again, let me remind you, he did not see the guy because the streetlights were not a thing. Oh, I always forget that. Elizabeth, or Long Liz, spent her afternoon and her life cleaning the rooms in the lodging house. And she basically was just like the others. She was living in the slums of London and then had to put food on the table. Cleaning, doing chores, and sex work is how she put food on the table. But she was done with her chores at the lodging at 6.30 p.m. And she was like, hey, I'm thirsty. We're going to go grab a drink. Goes to grab a drink and then heads back to her place at 7 p.m. Where fellow residents were like, hey, she kind of looks like she's ready to go out. They were like, she looks really nice. So at 11 p.m., she was spotted with a man wearing a bowler hat. And it was known never as approach a man wearing a bowler hat. I know. It was noted that he was dressed really well and had a really handsome, like, black mustache. That was, like, a thing. People were like, this man is handsome. Look at his marvelous mustache. That was one of the things that they really a noted. A mustache. A mustache. Anyways, at 12.45 a.m., she was seen again with the same man. And witnesses who was walking by, they overheard Elizabeth telling him, no, not tonight, some other night. So... It was speculated that she, like, rejected his advances. And then before 1 a.m., she was seen by two other people walking around with the same man. I mean, so, there's a good chance that that's the guy. There is a good chance. So, you remember Louis Dimeschutz, who I mentioned earlier? He was actually returning to the yard at 1 a.m. When he entered the yard, the pony was startled by something. It would not budge. He was like, what the fuck is happening? So he stops the horse, walks out, lights some matches, and he sees Elizabeth's body. He's a little freaked out right now. He was like, I don't, I don't know if she's dead or drunk. And honestly, he almost thought that it was his wife. I don't know if they look similar or whatnot, but he ran to the club close by and asked whether or not his wife was there. 
his wife was there with a group of friends and he was like listen there is a woman passed out there i don't know if she's dead or drunk um we need to go check this out so he grabs a candle right see that's the right thing to do he gets people and he heads back with a candle to investigate yeah so when he heads back with the candle he notices the blood and then he was like oh fuck so he runs and looks for the police uh unfortunately he could not find one and so him and another man returned to the body and lifted it up and kind of like moved it to the side they didn't know anything about the crime scenes back then yeah i mean uh, i kind of figured since it was back in the day but yeah also Rule like, number the one. Horse wouldn't walk or- i know but the horse also wouldn't like walk around her body because it's like oh shit a dead body so they're like we kind of got to move her out of the way i guess they did they could have used the horse to, like, book it to the nearest cop. But you know what the weird thing was? Is, like, he left the horse with the body the entire time that he was running into the club. He's like, hey, watch this. <laughs> Stay. The horse is like, the horse is like, what the fuck, dude? What am I supposed to do? That horse has seen some shit. The horse has seen some shit. Anyways, the autopsy reports that her neck had been slashed from ear to ear and it had basically been sliced and pried open like you would in an anatomy lab. That's disgusting. It is disgusting. And I will actually note that I've had to do this on a cat. I've had to do that exact cutting for a cat to learn about all the muscles and everything there. But because he sliced so deeply, he cut all the arteries and stuff, and that's how she died. The weird thing about this one is he actually didn't remove organs this time. That is weird. Maybe, well, he heard I the guy. I don't think he had time. Yeah, I don't think and he had he, time. he was like, oh, shit, and booked it. Yeah, so he didn't get to do what he wanted to do with her and booked it. And that's how he gets to his second victim is because he was not satisfied, right? He was like, I did not get the satisfying murder that I wanted. So we're going to try again, and that's when we get victim number four, Catherine Eddowes, murdered the same day about 45 minutes after Elizabeth. So the weird thing about Catherine Eddowes is that that same day, she was actually at the police station. She was jailed that day. Hmm. So what had happened was the previous evening at around 8.30 p.m., she was entertaining a crowd of onlookers and had gotten so drunk that she just laid down and went to sleep i guess i mean i've had friends do that yeah yeah she said i'm taking nap right here and she was so drunk that nobody knew her she couldn't tell anybody her name so the police came and picked her up and they're like um you're gonna go sober up at the police station so you can sleep there be safe sober up not get ran over on the street we're we're just you're just gonna hang out right yeah i mean that's decent i guess yeah yeah i guess So she wasn't in the jail by herself. Police Constable George Hutt actually was on duty and checked on her throughout the night. He started his shift at 10 p.m. So since then, he was like periodically checking on her and she was asleep each time he did. He did notice that she did wake up at like 12, 15 a.m. And she was singing to herself because and he was like, oh, she's awake. She's awake. She's singing. He goes in there to check on her, and she was like, hey, when do I get to leave? He's like, you can leave when you can take care of yourself. And she was like, I can do that now. So he brought her from her cell and told her that she can go at around 12.55 a.m. She leaves the police station at around 1 a.m. And after 1 a.m., she was found with her face and neck slashed, as well as her body mutilated. Which I thought this one was a little bit weird because the first three women, he didn't slash their face. But he slashed her face. I mean, he could have been really, like, pissed that he didn't get to do what he wanted with the first body. True. And it could have been anger, or it could have been, like, personal. Maybe. But realistically, people say that that day he should have been caught. Oh, 100%. Because I've watched a bunch of documentaries and stuff. There were police officers like walking their routes and it was like for you to avoid them you would have to know what their routes are yeah i don't know it's a whole weird thing 
And then there's this whole like controversy of them walking on the left side of the street or the right side of the street. I didn't look too much into that because I have no sense of direction. So that all means fucking nothing to me. Same. Which is why I also haven't really been mentioning street names because, again, I have no sense of direction. I don't have Google Maps. I'm already fucking lost. It means nothing to me. But my thing is, is like he still should have been caught because the idea is like, okay, so Lewis is walking his horseback. He notices he runs the other direction. I guess the two met somewhere halfway and he just flashed and ran, kind of. But how he didn't get caught, like, still amazes me. It's just like, how did you, how did you make it that far on foot? Yeah, that's and a miracle. Time for all of this. Yeah. How? How is this possible? The day of the double murder, he really should have been caught. Like, I, I would think that, like, one of the walking police officers would have caught him. You would think. You would think. But I guess if you live in Whitechapel and you know your way around then I would think you'd know how to avoid them. So Catherine Eddowes, like I said earlier, had her face slashed well. The next victim, Mary Kelly, had her face slashed so badly, you could not recognize her. This one was personal. This one was the most violent of all of his cases. So Mary Kelly was murdered November 9th, 1888. And she was only 25 years old. She didn't really fit, like, she didn't fit the description of the other victims. Like, she didn't match that. She was definitely something different. Yeah, like, this definitely seems more, like, personal. Yes, yeah, so the other women, they were older women. They weren't that pretty in comparison to her. Those aren't my words. So Yeah, so supposedly Mary Kelly... She was young. She was beautiful. She had light-colored hair that was somewhere between blonde and ginger. I'm assuming a strawberry blonde. She just didn't match the other victims to me just because, like, she was just youthful and so beautiful in comparison to the other ones who've lived a hard life because it seemed like he was going for women who he thought were possibly trash. Nobody would miss them. She yeah. was not the case. Mary Kelly was an Irish immigrant who actually came from a decently well-off family. And she was educated and artistic, like she knew how to paint. And then I also want to add that at one point she did work at a high-end brothel in London, but she ended up moving back to the East End. Um, she had a friend named Joseph Barnett, who she lived with for a bit of time. And on November the 8th, between 7 and 8 p.m., he went to go visit her. They were hanging out with a couple friends, and she had another friend there named Lizzie Albrick who remembered that Kelly had been sober the night before they left her. So she was, like, in her right mind. Kelly was beautiful, but like a lot of other people in that area, she did have a drinking problem. So even though she was sober between 7 and 8 p.m., she was not sober at 11.45 p.m. So at 11.45 p.m., she was seen drunk with an older, ginger-haired man. Kelly and the man entered her single-bedroom home on 13 Miller Street, and she closed the door behind them. So after she closed the door behind them, I don't know what they did. I think you and I both know what they did, but I'm going to say I don't know what they did. She decided to sing because she was drunk. And, you know, her neighbors were like, she was singing up until about 1 a.m. in the morning. The singing had stopped around 1.30 a.m. She basically had her neighbors sitting in bed for 30 minutes being like, shut the fuck up. No, for real. No, yeah, for real. The neighbors were just like, "What? why? Please why? be quiet. Please stop. Please stop. Yeah, she stopped at 1.30 a.m. Eh, nothing unusual for Kelly. The neighbors were just like, yeah, that seems like a normal thing. I wish she would shut the fuck up so I could go to sleep. Yeah, they really didn't think anything of it. But at 10.45 a.m., the landlord's assistant was sent to go receive rent from Kelly. He knocked on the door, but there was no answer. This is going to sound really dumb, but Kelly actually lost the key to her little apartment. <laughs> and so basically what she does is that there is a broken window next to the door, right? A broken window. 
she just sticks her hand in and unlocks the door from the said window. I mean, it, it works. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it does work. Um, she covers up the window with like a man's coat jacket. It's just like kind of like a curtain and also kind of to be like, hey, this window's not broken. Also, don't look into my house. Also, there could be a man in here. Don't want to risk that. Yeah, don't don't stick your arm in here. Anyways, the landlord's assistant knew that, so he was like, "Yeah, I'll just, I'll just you know move this jacket and like let myself in." He pulls the jacket to the side. Honestly, I don't know how he didn't vomit. He pulls the jacket to the side and sees Kelly's mutilated body laying in her bed. Her face was slashed so badly she was unrecognizable. And these are the notes from the autopsy and like the people on the crime scene. Trigger warning. This is very, very gory. The legs were wide apart. The left thigh at the right angles to the trunk of the right forming an obtuse angle with the pubis. The whole of the surface of the abdomen and thighs was removed and the abdominal cavity emptied of viscera. The breasts were cut off the arms mutilated by several jagged wounds, and the face hacked beyond recognition of the features. The tissues of the neck were severed all around down to the bone. Oh, God. The viscera were found in various parts of the house. The uterus and kidneys with one breast under the head, the other breast by the right foot, the liver between the feet, the intestines by the right side, and the spleen by the left side of the body. The flaps removed from the abdomen and thigh were placed on the table. What the hell? The bed, clothing the right corner, was saturated with blood, and on the floor beneath was a pool of blood covering about two square feet. It was believed that she had been dead between three and nine hours. Jesus. That was, like I said, that was the most brutal murder, but I'm assuming it's because he wasn't on the streets hacking her up. That, and like I said, it could have been a more personal. Didn't you say she had a male roommate at one point? Yeah, that was actually uh, Joseph Barnett. At this time, they weren't roommates, actually. They were previously roommates. Yeah, but if he'd previously known, then he could have. He could have went in. He could have been jealous. Yeah, he, he could have. You know, for Kelly to say that they were just roommates is weird to me. I think they were more than roommates at one point. And the night that, you know, that night when he went to go visit her, he was like, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash to give you. He did, like, give her cash, like, a lot of time just to give her cash. Yeah, I mean, he could be a little suspicious, but I mean, I don't know. That's just... I just feel like if you're sweet on somebody and you give them cash, like, that doesn't... I don't know, I... I just feel like he wouldn't murder her. I think he was just really sweet on her, but he was a suspect. I mean, it, that's where my mind obviously went to. Um. Right. Yeah, so those are the five canonical murders, and I did not go into full details in their case files because it is so long. And, and there is a super gruesome. And super gruesome. I just wanted to briefly go over them and talk about them. After those five, the murders kind of died down for about a year. And then we have two more victims who people believe the return of the Ripper because of these two victims. However, there is a lot of argument and speculation that they're actually not victims of the Rippers. And I can see where they're coming from with that. So victim number six was Alice McKinsey. She was murdered July 17th, 1889. So at 12.50, on July 17th, police constable Walter Andrews finds her body close to a lamppost on the pavement. And her skirt had been pulled up where there was blood over her thigh and abdomen. So that blood was coming from a zigzag laceration that ran from her breast to her navel. Um, many argued that it was too tame for a typical ripper murder. I also think it was too tame for a Ripper murder. I mean, I mean, yeah, all of his victims were pretty mutilated except for Catherine Eddowes. But again, that was probably because he didn't have the time to do what he normally does. He also normally doesn't cut with a zigzag motion. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's very, like, it's not typical of surgical cuts. 
pretty sure. It, it's not. And then also he does slash their necks. If it was a superficial wound, mm-hmm. how did was there a lot of blood? I don't know. I mean, like, I would think if somebody cut from your left breast to your navel, navel there'd be a decent amount of blood. Superficial wounds aren't that bad, though. Yeah, okay, well, we trim dog nails, and, like, when you cut too far up the quick, they bleed like a stuck pig. Okay, I'm just stupid. So, it can still bleed. It just leaves the deeper skin layers intact. Dong-dong. Victim number seven is Frances Cole. She was murdered February 13th. 1891. Her body was discovered at 2.15 a.m. on Friday the 13th. And, Ooh. yeah. Basically, the p- police constable Ernest Thompson was passing through an archway, which he had passed that spot 15 minutes before, and he was like, there definitely wasn't a body there. But when he returned at 2.15 a.m., he heard a man's... I don't know how he knew it was a man's, but he heard a man's footsteps walking away from him. And I mean, I can tell the difference between a man and a woman's footsteps. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I can't because I'm stupid. But when he turned to look back at the arch, he noticed that there was a figure laying on the ground. He rushed up to the figure, shining a lamp onto it, and he found that it was a woman covered in blood. She had a throat wound, a slash cut from ear to ear, just like the other Typical. Victims. People didn't think that that was a ripper murder either. And that's just because the it was a typical slash, but the body wasn't mutilated. But if, like, the cop had been there 15 minutes ago and he was coming back... You think he wouldn't have time? He might not have. Because, I mean, this guy seems to be good at evading police. Like, if he heard a footstep or something, he would have been booking it the other way. That's true. I do want to note, because this does happen in modern day... The way that the media lets people know about serial killers, it it leads it pretty open for copycat murders. That is true. So there's a chance that it wasn't the Ripper and people were saying it wasn't the Ripper because she was not mutilated. I would think that if he had advanced to the point that he did what he did to Kelly, which by the way, I forgot to mention that she was so mutilated that her femur was exposed, like they ha- she had yet skinned her they didn't write that in the description i just remembered that because i saw the picture that they took and she was mutilated so badly like they he basically fucking skinned her not even skinned her he took the meat off like you could see her bones that makes me sick it made me sick looking at the picture but basically what i'm saying is like i don't think he would be satisfied with just a slice and go like he would have done what he did that same day the day of the double murder and found another victim and mutilated her is what I'm saying because I don't think he would have been satisfied with that especially because he advanced further and further further in mutilation in his murders yeah that's that's a good point I know he has more victims but I've been talking for a really long time so Maggie's gonna go over those okay so like these are all possible victims they are all in the Whitechapel murder like file some of them most likely not the Ripper. Some of them, maybe. Rose Milet died on December 20th, 1888. Her strangled body was found in Clark's yard. There was no sign of a struggle. Police had initially believed that she had accidentally hung herself while she was drunk or that she had committed suicide, which doesn't make sense to me. But there were faint lines of a cord left on her neck indicating that she had been strangled. Thus, her death was ruled a murder due to strangulation and not, like, any stab wounds or anything. It's highly unlikely that this is a Ripper case. Yeah. I do want to note that, like, you know why they call it a hangover? No. One thing that came to mind is, like, the reason why they call it a hangover is because back then people would get so drunk. That they didn't want people laying on the ground, so they had a rope where they literally took drunk people and hung them over that rope. That's why it's called a hangover. What the hell? What I'm basically what I'm getting at is that it would have been pretty easy for her to accidentally hang herself. Okay. Like, cause if you're drunk and you're just leaning over a rope, like five other people, you're like, oh, I want to get up and move, but like you're fucking drunk. I think they had said she had hung herself by the call by her collar. I feel like that's possible, too. 
I don't know. I don't know, man. This... These next few, again, are pretty weird. We'll talk about it. So, another possible victim. This one technically isn't solidified, because they don't know if it's a real attack or, like, a fabricated part of Ripper lore. This um, name or nickname of an unidentified woman is called Fairy Fay. She was found in a doorway, and a stake had been thrust through her abdomen. She was found on December 26, 1887, which is a bit prior than before he, like, really got the ball rolling. And there are no recorded murders during this time, so many believe that this could have been created through confused press reports about the murder of aforementioned Emma Elizabeth Smith, who got a blunt object up her. Most agree that Fairy Faye never existed. But it was still... I mean, it's interesting. Listen... I just want to let you know, it's harder to stake a person than you think it is. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've... Her name is Fairy Faye. That's just the nickname given. I know, but, like, that makes it sound like it's not real. I thought it was Jane yeah. Doe. You know what I mean? Or is that a U.S. thing? I don't know. I think Jane Doe is a pretty universal thing. So the next murder case is the murder of Annie Millwood. On February 28, 1888, she was admitted to an infirmary with numerous stab wounds on her legs and lower torso. She stated that she had been attacked by a man with a clasp clasp knife. She was discharged, but later died on March 31st of natural causes. She was 38 around that time, so I mean, it could have been natural causes, but I don't know. It just seems too, like, it's a month from being stabbed. So she could have gotten, like, a nasty infection or something. That is true. And then we have Ada Wilson. She actually survived being stabbed in the neck twice with a knife on her doorstep on March 28, 1888. She said a man had came up to her and supposedly demanded money. Another person who survived. She lodged in the same place as Martha Tabram, who was an earlier victim that wasn't part of the canonical five. She was reportedly attacked on November 21st of 1888. She had a superficial cut on her throat. There was an unidentified man running out of the lodging area with blood on him, but her wound was light, and many say it could have been self-inflicted. And then we've got the Whitehall Mystery, which is really weird. So the Whitehall Mystery is a term coined for the discovery of a headless torso of a woman on October 2nd, 1888, in the basement of the new Metropolitan Police Headquarters. What the fuck? It's very weird. How did this happen? I didn't really look too much into it. But I, I kind of saw that and I was like, in the basement? So, like, they were in the process of building this headquarters. Yeah. But it's still weird. But, like, okay, so, like, what was it not fully built yet? Or, like, I guess not. I guess it was so still being was built. Like, yeah, so it was just like, I'm going to just throw this torso in here and uh, hope for the best. Yeah. An arm and shoulder of the body was previously identified on September 11th, floating in the River Thames. So they had already had these two pieces, or I guess technically one piece, and they're like, whose arm is this? Oh, it's hers. Her left leg was discovered to be buried near where her torso was on October 17th. No other limbs were ever discovered. The body was never identified. And as far as I know, they never found her head. Oh, God. I don't know if that one would necessarily be a Ripper case, but... I feel like he likes to play with organs. Yeah. But, I mean, if he had a head... There's only one... Well, if you count the eyes, technically three organs... I mean, there's just a, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can learn from the head. Then we get weird with this little boy who was seven at the time of his death. He was discovered on December 20th, 1888 in a stable block. He had been missing since the 27th, so I guess that means of November, so he'd been missing for a while. His limbs were severed, intestines partially drawn out, and his heart and one ear were removed. The removal of the organs are what correlated him to the Ripper case that was never proven. And I mean, it very well could have been, 
but it also doesn't yeah. fit his type. I think, yeah, because I think he would go for, well, he called them whores, so I'm assuming that, like, he hates these women who are, like, kind of sinners. Like, this little boy is, he's a little boy. Yeah, I don't like, know. Does fit his motive? His boss was arrested twice for his murder, but released both times due to lack of evidence. So, I mean, there's definitely other suspects in his murder. Right. Was it just a normal thing to walk around the slums of London and find fucking body parts? Like, what is happening? I guess. And then our last victim was Carrie Brown. She was strangled with clothing and mutilated with a knife on April 24th, 1891, in New York City. Which the location throws me off, because New York. That's uh, across the pond, isn't it? Yeah. It is weird, though. She had a large tear through her groin area, superficial cuts on her legs and back. No organs were removed from the scene, but the killer had removed one of her ovaries and just sat it on the bed. What the fuck? I don't know. Again, like I said, copycat case, maybe. Could have been. I mean, there's one person on our suspect list that also is across the pond when he gets you know that's true all right let's go over our suspect list then so on our suspect list our first first suspect is carl fagenbaum so good old carl was a german sailor who was executed for murdering a new york woman in 1894 the hypothesis that he could have been jack the ripper was proposed by a former detective. He points out that the fact that there were two docks near Whitechapel that were in op operation during the time. The men who passed through them were known for going to brothels a lot. The former detective also noticed striking similarities between Jack the Ripper's crimes and the slaying of Carl's alleged victim, Juliana Hoffman, which took place six years later. Archival research revealed that this guy went by a string of aliases, had owned ships that docked near Whitechapel on every date of the Five Ripper murders. Holy shit. It was also discovered that his defense lawyer had reached a similar conclusion more than a century ago, telling newspapers that his client had been admitting to, that his client had admitted to being a serial killer. So, I mean, Carl's looking pretty sus. Carl is looking pretty sus. Next is actually a royal. Spooky. Prince Albert Victor. It's one of the most interesting contenders for a Jack the Ripper. I yeah. Think, how does a prince walk around on the street without being noticed? No, for real. So, Prince Albert Victor, also known as Eddie... Um, was the prince second in line to the throne. He died of influenza at 28. In 1970, a British physician published an article implying that he had committed murders during fits of insanity caused by an advanced case of syphilis. This one's more of a... It's a stretch. A conspiracy theory. It is a... Yeah, just because you have fits of insanity doesn't mean that you're a serial killer. Yeah. I mean, I don't know like, where this guy was like, syphilis, serial killer, murderer. <laughs> um, Presses all the emergency check engine light buttons. Yeah. There are official records and newspaper reports and so many other sources that debunk this, offering strong indication that the prince was nowhere near the, the Whitechapel area when these right. murders had occurred. Throw this one out the window. What's the next? So, oh, the next one. We get into good old H.H. Holmes, America's first serial killer. We all know the story of H.H. Holmes. He killed as many as 200 people. So, like, take an escape room, make it a hotel, mm -hmm. and then make it real. Like, make the horrible things happening real. That's what he did. I mean... He had a gas chamber in this hotel, a dissection room, trapdoors, a basement furnace. This dude 
was an asshole. Although Holmes was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to death, some ripperologists believe that it wasn't Holmes who was executed in 1896 and that his murder spree wasn't limited to the United States. His own great-great-grandson believes that his ancestor was Jack the Ripper based on a series of diary entries in which Holmes purportedly outlined his involvement in the Whitechapel murders. Interesting. This is a bit of a... I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I feel like it's a stretch. It is a stretch. I I agree. I know that there are some serial killers that want to, like, beef up their quote-unquote portfolio, I guess, and take credit for things that they didn't do just to seem all big and bad. H.H. Holmes was one of the worst people to have ever existed. I don't trust a word he says. That's true. Or writes down in his diary. Yeah, no. How do you say the next one's name? I'm just going to hope that Romeo and Juliet, in reading that in high school, will pay pay off and say his name is Montague John Druitt. On November 9th, 1888, seven weeks after the final murder, this Oxford-educated lawyer was found floating in the River Thames. He had committed suicide, which, or it was an assumed he committed suicide because his pockets were filled with stones. And his body had been at the bottom of the river for several weeks. He had suffered a series of personal crises, crises during the 1880s, including his dismissal from teaching. He taught at a boarding school. Some people now believe that this was evidence that he was in the closet and he was gay. So he had suffered a lot of personal issues during the 1880s. He was dismissed from a teaching post at a boarding school. Some people think that he was a closeted homosexual. Um, his father died. His mom was institutionalized. There's literally n- no concrete evidence that connects him to the Ripper murders. They were just it's like, just, you. You. It's, it's just that he... You. Fuck you. It's like, the only thing that connects it is the fact that everything... Like, all of the murders kind of stopped after he died. And that was enough for detectives at the time to list him as one of the top three suspects. Okay. Personally, I think this guy was just going through it. It'd be like that, I guess. They're, they just need their scapegoat. So, the next one is going to be Walter Sicker. He was born in Germany, but raised in England. He was an impressionist painter. You know, in the early 1900s, he started painting some more suggestive things. He started painting prostitutes. Okay. You know, naked prostitutes, whatever. However, he started painting them beside their cloth clients. And he had one painting where a man had his hands around the woman's throat. This man became very interested with Jack the Ripper. And he did actually go to a lodging and rent out a room that the landlord thought Jack the Ripper had been in. And that's what inspired him to paint Jack the Ripper's bedroom around 1907. I was kind of reading through this and supposedly there's evidence that the letters that were sent to the police station had his DNA on it. The problem with that is like a lot of these letters were found to be a hoax. So I think the man was just a crazy fanboy. I'm not sure. I think this one's also a stretch. Okay, so the next one is Robert Mann. And he was supposedly an attendant at the Whitechapel mortuary where the victims were brought to be examined. These damn Um, mortuaries. I know. And men work in there. So they're thinking that he fits the bill because if he works at the mortuary, he has some degree of anatomical knowledge. And honestly, like it kind of it kind of fits, you know. He worked with corpses on a daily basis, like he knows what the fuck is happening. So when Polly Nichols was brought in, it said that man took the unnecessary step of undressing her at the morgue. What the hell? Ew. Yeah. I don't like that. People thought he did that to admire his own handiwork. 
for any reason he did that. I, I don't yeah, know. I don't sure. know how to respond to this. This is just sick. I mean, people in mortuaries try to hire not men because they're gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they we... try to do stuff to the corpses. It's true. Right. So if it wasn't Robert Mann, the next theory is that it was actually Jill the Ripper. So there's not like a tied down woman. It's just. Yeah. Just that it's a woman. Iconic. Oh, I mean, Sorry, that's not iconic. It's bad. That's not iconic. But have better idols. I do have better idols. Okay. Anyways, Jill the Ripper shouldn't be one of them. But, She's you know, not. people toyed. People toyed with the idea that Jack the Ripper was actually Jill the Ripper, and I would think, I don't know. I feel like maybe if she were really angry and maybe she looked at these women and was like, they're sinners, they're not doing things right. I don't know what the motive would be. It's just it's just a theory to toy with. Like, would she have gotten away with it either, easier if she were a woman? I mean, yeah, because... I know I heard about this somewhere, that if it was, like, a lady in nursing clothes, it'd be normal to have a little bit of blood on it or something. Like, I wonder, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. And I also wonder, like, if if Jill the Ripper was a nurse, she would have some, technically some sort of anatomical knowledge. That is true. Like, do you think that Mary Kelly was so much more mutilated because maybe they had some kind of beef or maybe like she thought she was too beautiful maybe she mutilated her face because she couldn't handle the face like i don't know maybe so i'm looking in our notes and it says the only female suspect considered by detectives was mary percy who in 1890 was executed for murdering her lover's wife and child with a carving knife so, I mean... What the fuck did the child do? He just fucking existed. He's sitting there eating, like, crackers and shit. And she just bursts through the door and just starts stabbing. The fuck? I mean, like you said, with uh, the whole Mary Kelly thing, this kind of adds up. They had beef. Like you said, there wasn't any reports of sexual assault that we could tell of, or, like, could... See, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. So, I have some more. I have two more suspects, right? One of them is Lewis Carroll. And I tried to look into it, and I really think that people were just like, this man, it has to be this man, dude. He's fucking unhinged. Oh, yeah. You wrote Alice in Wonderland, right? Yeah, but he also dropped a lot of LSD and drugs. So, like, I don't know if they're just like, he's a madman that did it. He went down the rabbit hole. Also, like, we both know that Lewis Carroll had, like, a really creepy thing for, like, young girl, like, children, yeah. kind of. I-, I just feel like prostitutes and sex workers and, like, I, I don't know. They- I just feel like it wouldn't be that. He would probably go for younger. Right. So the next one is a little bit more interesting. Um, the next one is Aaron Kosminski. He was a Polish immigrant. The infographic show did a whole episode on him, and basically, he was found to be a suspect because they took DNA evidence from one of the shawls that one of the Canonical Five was wearing, and they matched it up with DNA to people living today and found that it matched with somebody back then. I don't know how they did it, actually. I know that they matched the DNA of one of the victims to their present-day ancestors, and then got DNA off that shawl and, like, found that the closest relative who was at Whitechapel at the time was Aaron Kosminski. Basically, homie was a barber, a 23-year-old barber, right? What in Sweeney Todd is this? Yeah, what in the Sweeney Todd? He was a 23-year-old barber, but they really put him on the list because he... At the time of the Jack Ripper murders, he was actually in and out of the insane asylum. He was not in the right fucking mind. However, people argue that this isn't credible evidence because, first of all, they supposedly got the DNA off of semen on the Shaw. Like, that was the DNA evidence. 
Second of all, I just want you to know, I'm not saying this to be an asshole, but, like, they were sex workers, so, like, yeah, I'm not trying to be a dick, but, like, they were prostitutes, so, like, finding semen on articles of their clothing, it wouldn't be an abnormal thing. Yeah. And I do want to say that, like, these articles of clothing and all the DNA on it, like, they've been passed through different hands during all of this, so... It's not, it's not good evidence. Yeah, it, it's it not solid. Soiled, tampered, soiled it. Yeah, at this point, this case, I don't think it'll ever be concretely no. solved. Also, can we talk about, like, he was 23 years old, like, Hobie went to go bust a nut and now he's, like, charged with murder. Accused of murder. I mean. I'm just saying. Yeah, I personally, I think Jack the Ripper, like, one of my theories is that Jack the Ripper was actually a medical student, but... That one's a good one, too. I, I think so, because, like, to go and work at the... To go to medical school, you needed money. To work on the cadavers, you needed money. However, the medical universities paid top dollar for people who would bring them fresh organs and stuff. And I think, because, like, going back to my uh, gynecology episode... Like, you technically did not have to have a degree to be a doctor. You just had to learn on your own and work under a person who was, quote-unquote, already a doctor. So, I'm thinking, what if he was too poor to go to school? He needed money, and he also needed to practice on cadavers. So, he thought, what if I targeted people in the slums of London who would not be missed? And that is what he did. And then maybe the organs that were missing, he sold to medical universities. I, I, it was just food for thought. Like, I really think he was a medical student. He could have been. Yeah, not a doctor per se. So, any last thoughts on this episode as we finish up? Honestly, it's a lot to digest. It's a hefty episode. Yeah, it is a lot to digest. It is a hefty episode because... All this information has been thrown around. No one actually knows who it is. And so there is a lot of just speculation. Yeah, it's all speculation. I would think that uh, no one's ever going to know the answer. So that I would agree. Yes, that is our Jack the Ripper episode. If you like this content, please like, follow, and subscribe. Follow us on our social medias. And... Now that Maggie has been in a couple episodes, I will be putting her in charge of more true crime episodes. True crime. I don't know why I smiled like that. That's sick. That was creepy. (laughs) Yeah, but she'll be in charge of true crime episodes just like Courtney had. You'll be seeing her a lot more in the future. But thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you in the next episode that is also probably going to be late because I fucking hate editing. Bye. Yes, bye. Bye.